Open your Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Acts, chapter number 14. Acts, chapter number 14. Next week is Patriot Day as we think back uh, to the terrible tragedy that happened here uh, in America, the terrorist attack. We think about uh, we think about certain stories related to that of great bravery demonstrated on the part of men and women who risk their lives to to save lives. And I think just about everyone loves a story about bravery and determination. It might be something that is fictitious, like Rocky Balboa. Hey, uh, some reason, you know, people keep watching the, the show. In fact, there's several sequels to that, and people just love watching uh, an underdog, you know, come out victorious. But it might be a true story like Sergeant York, which happens to be my favorite movie of all time, and uh, based on a true story of heroism. And it gets our attention and wins our admiration. And we can look down through history and find all kinds of examples of that. And But the best examples we find uh, are right here in God's Word. You know, we might be inspired by the story of Sergeant York or Thomas Edison or Helen Keller, uh, but when we come to the Bible, it gives us spiritual instruction and inspiration. And throughout the Bible, we find men and women who displayed great determination, people that absolutely refused to give up until their work was done. I think about Noah, for example, who for many decades labored in the building of the ark. I can't imagine devoting so much of your life to, to something that seemingly wasn't even needed. I mean, the only evidence that an ark would ever be needed was uh, the fact that God spoke to him. And when you're living by faith, that causes you to stretch out yourself beyond what the mind can imagine. And Noah uh, made that kind of an investment. I think about Abraham and Sarah. And think about the fact that they left their homeland, left all of their loved ones in search of a land that God would show them. There was no evidence of it. Again, it was just simply the Word of God that told them to leave the place where they were and to go into a land that God would show them. I think about Joseph and the, and the heroics of Joseph, a man who had been mistreated and rejected, lived all of those years in exile, falsely accused, imprisoned, and everything, waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. I think about Moses, who led Israel out of Egypt and led them to the promised land. And the amazing thing about that is in his frustration with their murmuring, their constant harping about everything under the sun, you know the story how that he smote the rock and he was not allowed to enter into the promised land. You know, that would have been a great time to just resign from your position, right? I mean, you're not going to get to go in. These people are stubborn and rebellious. They don't listen to anything he says. I mean, why even keep on? 
in the ministry. Just drop out, retire. But he kept going. Think about that. No personal gain in any of this because he was not going to go into the promised land and yet he endured. I think about Joshua and I think especially about Caleb when he said, I want that mountain. I mean, till the day he died, he was a man that died climbing. He was a man that could not be stopped. But whenever I think about determination, and if you haven't guessed, that's what we're speaking about this morning, I, I can't help but to think about the Apostle Paul. Of all of the people in the Bible that I know of, it seems like he, above everyone else, just grabs me by the throat and gets my attention. I mean, here is a man that was betrayed, he was beaten, he was jailed, he was he was stoned and left for dead, as you'll see in just a minute. He was shipwrecked on three different occasions, uh, in prison, uh, tormented by a thorn in the flesh of some kind that God allowed to happen, and yet he had such strong faith in God, hope in Christ, dependence upon the Holy Spirit that he absolutely refused to give up. He had fought the good fight. He had finished his course. He had kept the faith. And till the very end, when he said, now the time of my departure is at hand. And uh, throughout all of his ministry, he never quit. Even while imprisoned, he used that time and took that opportunity to serve the Lord. This morning, I want to look at just a little snippet out of his life that many years ago grabbed my attention and I've never been able to, to forget about it. I wish I had time to read the entire chapter. But I want you to begin with me in verse number 19. As Paul goes to Lystra, and he's already gone through some difficulties, some threats have been made. God is blessing on one hand, the devil is fighting on the other hand. But it says in verse 19, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead, howbeit. As the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra. Every Christian needs to study the book of Acts. It not only gives us the history of the early church, which is important, but it gives us the pattern for how churches and Christians are to operate even today. And here in Acts chapter number 13 and chapter number 14, we read about Paul's missionary endeavor along with Barnabas. And there are a lot of details in this, but I just want to get down to the, uh, to the story we're speaking of this morning, the story of a man with undaunted courage a man who had suffered terrible hardships and yet was not defeated. When we think about this, and remember this is his first missionary journey, and you know that seems to be when the devil hits you the hardest. When you set out to do something for God, when you determine that you know what God wants you to do and you set out 
to get the job done, the devil's going to attack with everything he's got. And, and that's what we see here. And this the entire journey was characterized by trouble. John Mark had deserted uh, Paul during the, the journey. Uh, the Jews threatened to stone him. When he went to Lystra, they actually did stone him. Supposing that he was dead, they dragged him out of the city. And as the custom was in those days with someone that was not a resident there and respected, they just dra- drug their body out of town, out to the garbage dump, and literally just put the body in the garbage dump. And so I can imagine them doing exactly that with this great man of God. Get that picture in your mind. Here's a man who has done nothing wrong, a man who did everything right, a man who is following the Lord to the very best of his ability, a man that God has used greatly, a man that God has great plans for in the future. And all of a sudden, you see that lifeless body laying there in the garbage dump and no doubt as the enemies leave and his followers stand round about with tears in their eyes, all of a sudden he gets up. Can you imagine what was going through their mind? At one moment, it seems like everything was lost. They had invested their lives in following a man that, that with whom they had great respect and hope. And now it seems like everything is lost. And suddenly, he gets up, they leave the city, they go on about 60 miles to Derby, and there it says they preached there. You know, he could have said, you know, look, I've had enough of this preaching stuff. I mean, man, I didn't do anything wrong. Look look what it got me. You know, people are not going to listen anyway. Why do I waste my time doing this? But he wasn't doing it because of the people. He was doing it because God had called him to preach. And so they go to Derby and they preach there and people respond. But then notice verse 21. This is what is so amazing to me. It says he returned again to Lystra. This is a, a picture of a man who is devoted to duty. And, and, and I pray that God would help us to be so brave. There are three things about this I want you to think about as we think about our need for determination, as we think about our responsibility to be devoted to duty, whatever that particular duty might be. We ought to be devoted to it with all of our heart. First of all, I think about his return being something that is absolutely remarkable. I mean, they left him for dead at Lystra, and, and, and for him to even think about going back there seemed to be the most foolish thing in all of the world. He almost lost his life, and yet he walks right back in the face of danger. You know, a person that had less courage and humility might have thought, wait a minute, my, my life is too valuable to, to risk again. Because God had told him, you know, the great things he was going to do, at least in a measure, said, hey, buddy, you're going to preach in Rome. You're going to do great things. I'm going to use you. And it's, it's amazing as he envisioned what God was going to do in the future. And all of a sudden, he could have decided that I am not going to risk my life. But when you look in chapter number 20, 
And there's an interesting verse there that tells us that Paul considered himself to be expendable. In verse number 24, and this is whenever he is meeting on the seashore with the elders of the church at Ephesus. He's headed for Jerusalem and they're trying to stop him because the Spirit of God has revealed to them that he's going to meet with tragedy there, that he's going to be arrested, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be in prison, and they're begging him not to go. And notice he says, verse 24, and none of these things, verse 23 tells you what things he was talking about, bonds and afflictions. None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, my life is expendable. It doesn't mean anything. Remember, he had said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, how do you threaten a man like this? A man, you know, yeah, go ahead and kill me. To die is gain. I mean, listen, he figured that his ministry was much more important than his life. And so many times we let, you know, the difficulties of the day determine whether we're going to be devoted to duty or not, right? Because after all, we think, well, boy, it's so dangerous. If we get out there knocking on doors and going door to door, you know, people, it's, people are mean today. It's dangerous. Absolutely it is. It's absolutely dangerous for us to get out here and to mingle with the very people that need the gospel. And so many times we treasure our lives so much that we're not willing to run the risk in order to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that are on their way to a devil's hell. Paul didn't have that attitude, and to me this is absolutely remarkable. Remarkable because of what had happened at Lystra. It's remarkable for another thing, and that is the fact that his home church was at Antioch. Lystra is in exactly the opposite direction. And so it's obvious to me he's not looking for the easiest route. He, you know, he's planning on going back to Antioch there, visiting his home church. This is his sponsoring church. This is the church to which he is accountable. And no doubt he wants to go there and give a report and be refreshed by those who love him. But instead of going, you know, straight there, he's going in the opposite direction. In other words, he has to go out of his way to go back to Lystra. But he's not looking for an easy way. He realizes there is an unmet need there. And although they just about killed him, he's determined that he's not leaving until he has done all that he can. But there's a third thing related to this, and that's the fact that Paul's hometown of Taurus was about halfway between Derby and Antioch. Now think about that for a little while. I mean, you know, instead, most of us, most of us would think, you know, while I'm here in the area, you know, instead of going back in the other direction, I'm here in the area. My family, my friends are all there in Taurus, and I 
long to see them, and no doubt that, you know, we would have uh, we went straight there. But instead of going there, he goes to Lister. Let me tell you, it's not an easy thing to leave your family even for the sake of the ministry. Bev and I and our children, as we think back over the years and we think about making that move when we left Missouri the first time and we moved from there to Tennessee, it, listen, it's a difficult thing to pack your bags and to leave your family. I'm, I'm, you, you know, some of you have been so privileged to be able to, to raise your children in close proximity, you know, to their grandparents. Isn't it wonderful, you know, to have your grandkids just, you know, close by where you can see them and be with them. You can have those special holidays where you can all get together. But for years and years and years, we, we were not able to do that. It just so happens that uh, today would have been my dad's uh, birthday. It is his birthday and uh, he was born in 1918, uh, 1918 or 19, and so uh, he would have been whatever. I'm not going to get in, what's that, 95 or something, huh? 90-something, something anyway. But but I've been thinking about that all morning. And I can remember we'd get to go back to Missouri maybe one, sometimes maybe two times a year, maybe go back there around Christmas time. And uh, so it was very seldom they got to be with their family. Now, I, I can just imagine Paul being that close to his hometown, knowing that his family is there. And so I can think about the great temptation of, hey, wait a minute, those other people nearly kill me. I'm, I'm going to go see my family. I'm going to go spend some time with people that love me rather than going back to Lystra. So to me, this, this is absolutely remarkable. It reminds me of what Jesus said about that, you know, unless we love him more than what? More than father, mother, brother, sister, we cannot be his disciple. If we're going to serve the Lord, there are times that we have to make sacrifices that are very difficult. To me, all of this is remarkable that he goes right back in to the face of danger. But not only that, there was a reason for his return. You know, you have to ask yourself, why in the world would he risk his life to do something about that? Well, verse 22 and verse 23 tells us that it was because of his concern for the people. Notice he says that when he goes back there, he says, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. You see, they had unfinished business there. And those new converts needed the instruction. They needed the encouragement that Paul could give to them. And... Uh, so they're going back there in order to help those new converts. Now, there's something really important here in verse 21, because we've been talking about Paul, right? But notice in verse 21, it says, they returned. Don't ever forget that Barnabas was with him. It was not just Paul. It was Barnabas and whoever else might have been in their company. They returned. They went back. 
You know, Barnabas could have said, look, buddy, you, you might not have enough sense to stay out of Lystra, but I do. And if you want to go back there, you go by yourself. I'm not going with you. Now, you see, this reminds us that we, listen, we need one another. And that's why it's so very important that every Christian be a faithful member of the Lord's church. There shouldn't be any Lone Ranger Christians out here doing their own thing, but we all ought to be a member of the Lord's church where where we can be of help to others and they can be of a help to us. You need others. Others need you. And uh, I just got to wonder, would Barnabas have gone, you know, had Paul refused? Let's turn it around. Let's say Paul had said... You know, I thought about going back to Lystra because we got those new converts there. You know, they need to be instructed. They need to be organized. I mean, here's a bunch of new converts. They don't even have any elders in the church yet. What are we going to do? And Barnabas said, you know, boy, I'm ready to go. Let's go right now. And Paul might have said, no, no, it's too dangerous. I think we ought to stay away from that place for a while. I wonder, would Barnabas have gone? You know, I don't know. But I certainly know that when Paul decided he was going, Barnabas was right there with him. My, my point is, folks, that what you do just might encourage and inspire somebody else. You do the right thing, and somebody else might be encouraged to do the same thing. And that's what we see here. It's not all about Paul. It's about Paul and his associates. That was the reason for it. There was unfinished business, a need, and they're willing to risk their lives to meet that need. So what are the results of it? Well, number one, it conveyed a message to the enemy. You know, we need to let all of the world know that we're serious about serving God. And uh, if people can stop you, they will. If Satan can stop you, he will. He'll do anything to distract you from what is most important. That's why I've always said, you know, the, the three most important things in life, number one is receiving Christ as your Savior. Number two is who you marry. Number three is where you attend church or what church you're a member of, I should say. And we ought to make that determination. When you listen, when you go to get married, you don't just say, "Hey, well, you know, I'm 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 21, and it's time, you know, that I get married, and so give me a girl." I've never met anybody like that. Well, who you want? Oh, I don't care. Just give me a girl. One's as good as another. Nobody thinks that way. And I'm telling you, listen. Why in the world do we have this idea, oh, well, you know, I, I need to be in church. It doesn't make any difference where I go. You d- Listen, you decide where God wants you to be. You decide what church He wants you to be in. You let all of those other decisions revolve around that. Amen. By the way, isn't that what you expected out of Bev and I and Kenneth and Shelley? Well, we called you, you know. I remember when Gilbert Wood called me and said, yeah, the church called you and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I'm not interested. What? He, I, he, he said, I said, no, I'm not interested. He said, 
Well, will you pray about it? Uh, okay, I'll pray about it. Some of you wish I hadn't, don't you? But anyway, when the Lord laid it on our heart and said, all right, this is where it is. It's pack your bags, get a rental van, and move from Kentucky down to Texas. And I'm so thankful that we did that. I couldn't be happier anywhere else. That's right where God wants us to be. And, and so whenever I get up on Sunday morning, I don't have to wonder, okay, I know the Lord wants me to go to church, and so I'll just go to church somewhere. Listen, I can preach anywhere. I, I, give me a little cabin up on the lake in the Ozarks somewhere. I can preach up there. But I'm here because I know this is the church that God wants me to be in. And I'm telling you, folks, we need, we need to decide exactly what God would have us to do. You say... But think about the difficulties. You really want to go there right now? Are you serious? Think about the difficulties. Oh, yeah, I'm afraid if I get in the will of God, my whole life will go to pot. Yeah, if I, if I do the will of God, you know, nothing's going to turn out right. I'll never be happy. You see, the devil makes us think that way. There was unfinished business back there in Lister, and Paul knew that's what God wanted to do. And he, he goes back there, and as a result of that, it's conveying a message to Satan and the whole world that you're not going to stop me. I know what God wants, and I'm going to do it regardless of what you think about it. Secondly, it challenged the saints. Can you imagine whenever he came back in town and they see the devotion of this man of God and see what an example that he was? Can you imagine how it must have affected them? He could have been just some itinerant preacher going through the area and making some converts and what have you, packing his bags and just going on, say, you know, I'll never go back there again. But boy, when he comes back there, those young new believers got a lesson in life like they had never seen before. And that is that here is a man who cares so much about us that he comes right back in the face of danger and risks his life in order to help us. You say, now look, that doesn't just tell them something about Paul. It tells them something about the importance of what Paul is doing and what they ought to be doing. And so number one, it conveyed a message to the enemies. Number two, it challenged the saints. Number three, it captured the attention of a young man with the name of Timothy. Timothy was from Lystra, by the way. And here is a young man that had been carefully trained by his mother and his grandmother. Listen, ladies, don't ever underestimate your importance. Whenever you think about your children and your grandchildren, God has given you a ministry that is beyond what most women ever imagine. And these two women had carefully trained that young man. And so when, when Paul referred to him, he called him my son in the faith. That seemed to indicate that Paul had a part in his conversion. And on his second missionary journey, uh, uh, Timothy joined with Paul. 
I mean, listen, how do you not be impressed with a man like Paul? I can remember as a young Christian, and back then, when we have a revival meeting or have missionaries, we never put anybody up in a motel. That was unheard of. They stayed with some member of the church. And whenever it come time to eat, you didn't take them to a restaurant. You had a home-cooked meal. And I can't tell you the number of times that we've had missionaries and uh, evangelists in our home. We've kept them there all week and, uh, and they have cooked all week and cared for them all week and so forth. And uh, there's something about, to me as a young Christian, of having those missionaries come there. I'll never forget Bob Hughes coming from the Philippines. And what a blessing that Bob was to me in my in my young life. And to hear the stories of his ministry there in the Philippines just absolutely thrilled my heart. But can you imagine these people when Paul comes back and here is this young boy by the name of Timothy. That's special to me because when I was saved, I remember my, my pastor on several occasions and he would introduce me to someone. We'd be at a conference or wherever and he said this is my timothy and that's the way he looked at the relationship that that he had with me and took me under his wing said this is my timothy i I didn't really know exactly what he meant then but i know now because here i see timothy so impressed by the courage and the commitment of the apostle paul that now he is going with him as a result of that long lasting impression that paul made i'm telling you you might not realize it but there are young people in this church young people in your family that have their eyes on you they're watching what you do they're watching your attitude and your actions And they might never send you a card thanking you for your service. They might never say anything commending you for your kindness. But they're watching you and you will make a lasting impression for good or bad in their life. But there was something even more important than that. And it's the fact that another result, the most important result, is that it characterized Christ himself. I often think about Jesus. Remember, he lived his life with the shadow of the cross upon him. Calvary didn't come as a surprise to him. Back before the foundation of the world, the Father and the Son, as they meet there in conference together, as it were, as they devise the plan of redemption. And as it's all laid out and stepped by step by step down through the centuries God is working out his plan and in the fullness of time God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to what to redeem amen and Christ lived every day of his life in the shadow of that cross he knew exactly what was going to happen. He had seen the Jews as they brought the, brought the sheep up and, you know, to the temple to, to offer up the sacrifices. And he knew that someday that'll be me. I will be the sacrifice. And the Bible makes this statement. It says he set his face like a flint, a flint rock. 
I mean, there was no being deterred from the mission that he was on. Nothing was going to stop him as he headed toward Calvary. And believe me, listen, even the disciples, those that loved him, they even tried to stop him. With their limited understanding, whenever the Lord mentions, I'm going to Jerusalem and suffer many things, I'm going to be killed. And Peter just absolutely went brain dead and forgot everything the prophets had taught and everything Jesus had said and took hold of the Lord, grabbed hold of Him and said, not so. We're not going to let that happen to you. And of course, that's when the Lord said, get behind me, Satan. You see, as I said, if the world can stop you, it will. And whenever Paul went back to Lystra, he did something that was characteristic of Jesus Christ that I'm not going to let anything stop me from doing what I know God wants me to do. All great people have been characterized by a spirit of courage and determination, whether it's Sergeant York or whoever it is, whether it's David Livingston or William Carey or some of the other great missionaries, and you read their story, and and again and again you see their great determination in the face of difficulties. You see, serving God doesn't exempt us from problems. Some of the best people have the worst problems. And just because you are devoted to the Lord doesn't mean God's going to, you know, make life a bed of roses for you. And more than you realize might depend upon what you do in the face of those difficulties. Whenever you get down and out, the devil is laughing. Others are watching. The opportunities are passing away. God is grieved at His heart. But let me tell you, every time you get up, you'll be stronger than you were before. And it's always too soon for us to quit, folks. There's never a good time for us to throw in the towel and give up. And we need to remember that our success is not going to come by our human resolve. It's not our true grit. It's not our determination It comes as a result of us being fully yielded unto the Lord. These are men that are filled with the Spirit of God, and only the Spirit of God can keep us in the way of the Lord. He's the only one that can do that. If you don't, listen, I want to sum this up. If you don't learn how to defeat discouragement when it comes, you, you will fail in God's plan for your life. David encouraged himself in the Lord. None of us can keep from getting disappointed and discouraged. It's going to happen. You're only human. It's going to happen. Your flesh is weak. The enemy is strong. The days are long. Life is difficult. It's going to happen. You try to keep a stiff upper lip if you want to and not you know I'm not going to let the devil get me down well I got news for you you won't need the devil to get you down you'll get yourself down and it happens to all of us it's not a matter of never getting down it's a matter of getting back up when you get down 
And God's will for our life ought to be just that important to us that we're not going to stay down when we get down. And to keep going, you have to get up. And let me tell you, to stay up, you have to grow up. Spiritually, I'm talking about. Is Taylor here? Where's Angie and David? She's over over yonder, I guess. I'll 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 close with her with her advice to those of you that are going through difficulties, and you're feeling sorry for yourself or whatever. I mean, you've taken a beating, you've been mistreated, you have real, genuine, true enemies. And Taylor's advice is suck it up, Buttercup. That's really not all that bad advice. Listen, God expects something out of us. I'm going to be honest with you and just tell you something. I don't even know how to say this. In fact, I'm afraid to even say it. I'm afraid I won't know when to stop and how far to go. And Do you ever get tired of trying to be strong and keep going? Do you ever get to the point you're like, man... I just want to throw a hissy fit. I, I just want to turn the air blue with a few curse words. I just want to slap him in the face. I, uh, <laughs> now, I, I hate for you to know that your pastor ever feels that way. That, there are times I know Sunday's coming. I've got to pump myself up and get myself up and get going. And there's some little voice up there telling me, forget about it. Just. If everybody, you know, just give me one, give me one day, just one day to just pitch a fit and then I'll be okay. But I, I can't do that. I know I can't do that. I'm saying all of that for a reason is because I, I want you to understand I know how you feel. I, I, I know what you're, listen, life is tough. It's difficult. But our God is able, and Paul proved it. Listen, if Paul could, you can. If he could, you can. Paul's just a man. Tradition says he wasn't even five feet tall, just a little guy. But I want to tell you what, he's a little guy that was determined that nothing's going to stop me. I know what God wants me to do. And I'm going to do it. I'm saying all of this for a reason, because the most difficult thing in the world, other than trying to get Christians to get going, the most difficult thing is to try to keep them going. I'm serious. It's so, many, so many times, you know, that pe- people that want to be saved, they want to go to heaven when they die, but they don't want to be involved in anything down here on earth, you know, that would help others go. They're quite happy just knowing that they're saved and going to heaven, but they don't want to. They don't get involved in Christian service or anything like that. They don't want any responsibility. And even whenever somebody signs up and they say, "Hey, just point me in the right direction. I want to serve God. I'll do whatever you want me to do." And that's such a wonderful feeling. But I know from the get-go, I know that there's going to come a point in time where that person's going to need encouragement. 
somewhere along the way. We all do. And if we're going to win, if we're going to fulfill our ministry and come to the end with no regrets, like when Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm just about to let loose of the mooring. I'm about to launch out into the deep. I'm about to leave this old world. He wasn't complaining about it. He said, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Why? Because I fought a good fight. I finished my course. All my work is done. And I've kept the faith. Henceforth, he said, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. Don't ever lose sight of the reward that lies ahead. It's worth it. It's worth it. It will be worth it all, as the song says. Don't you dare give up. Suck it up, buttercup. Let's all stand. Father, how we thank you for the example of those great men and women in the Bible that would not be stopped. Those people that would not quit, that would not give in. And we know, Heavenly Father, it was not because of any unique great talent on their part, but rather it was because of the fact that the Spirit of God enabled them to live a life that that was otherwise impossible. And Lord, today we realize that you've called us, each and every one here, you've called us to live a miracle. You've called us to live above and beyond what we are able in and of ourselves. There's some dear folks here today that they're tired and they're weary. They struggle with the difficulties of life. Lord, I pray today that you'll just fill them with your spirit and that you'll enable them to overcome whatever it is that's trying to drag them down. There are those here today that have enemies that have come against them, trying to discourage them. And it might be they have needs that so far have been unmet and they don't know where to turn or what to do. And I pray today that they'll, that they'll turn to you and look to you for the help they need. And then, Heavenly Father, for those here today that have never, ever trusted Christ as their Savior, help them to understand that not only do you love them so much that you would allow your most choice servants like Paul to be so sorely mistreated and to suffer so greatly, but far, far more than that, you allowed your own dear son to be nailed to an old rugged cross and crucified in order that they might be saved. May they trust him this morning and leave here knowing that you are their father, that heaven is their home, that the Holy Spirit is their helper. We beg it in Jesus' dear name. And now as we